This is the Hunt Quietly Podcast. I'm Matt Ranella. Mike, you, you work for Wyofile, and that's a, like, what is that? That's a Wyoming-specific public affairs publication? I mean, current affairs publication? Yeah. Hey, Matt, that, that's a good description. Um, uh, yeah, Wildfile, it's about 11 years old. Um, I When I'm trying to describe it to someone who's never heard of it, I often um kind of compare the the business model of wildfire it's like uh, kind of like uh like a state public radio station yes like wyoming public radio but it's print it's member supported nonprofit. we cover issues in the state um uh, that matter to residents of wyoming and i cover wildlife and natural resources so you get no federal funding or state funding. oh yeah no yeah we have no yeah, yeah affiliation with npr wyoming public radio pbs not no 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 federal funding at all um, member supported you know we get foundation grants uh that keep us afloat but a lot of it just comes from readers so it's you know we don't and minimal advertising although that's something we're looking to get into but um certainly no federal funding that's pretty cool that in this day and age with all the information out there that's available that that the citizens of the very few citizens of Wyoming are willing to bankroll uh good reporting. Yeah. Yeah, I'm grateful to them for <laughs> Yeah. How long have you How long have you worked there uh i've been at wildfile for uh coming up on two years uh but i'm kind of familiar with wyoming from my past job um i was uh the environmental reporter for the jackson hole newsing guide for uh, nine years so i've been in wyoming 11 years now and and uh yeah right about you know issues that are, are overlap with my personal interests and so i'm an elk hunter and uh fashion myself as an outdoorsman um and uh uh yeah take great interest in these issues and um hope to do it for years to come did you go to journalism school i did i uh i i Went to did my undergrad at a little university in Minnesota called St. John's. It's in central Minnesota, uh, and small private liberal arts. There's no, um, there was no journalism program. And actually, in an environmental history class, I read a uh, a book about mountain lion uh, human conflict in uh, the Front Range of Colorado. A book called the beast in the garden it was uh written by someone who was on a fellowship at the uh, center for environmental journalism at the university of colorado and i just like read that in on the jacket of the book that this guy had done in his fellowship at this thing called the center for environmental journalism and for me you know that was one of those moments where i was like oh like i i didn't know what i wanted to do and it was like oh environmental journalism that sounds pretty uh, up my alley and so i ended up uh, going to cu boulder to get my master's uh in journalism um a couple of years later 
that seems like a pretty rewarding job. You get to study and study really interesting topics that matter to a lot of people and then explain them using the written word. I can't, I can't think of much, anything much more rewarding than that. Yeah, certainly. You know, the issues that are important to me personally and to the you know, people and agencies I write about, it's my job to kind of help that resonate with readers. And I certainly think it's rewarding. It can also be stressful. And I'm sure demanding, but, um, but yeah, I, I, um, find it very rewarding and fulfilling and I'm at the point in my career where there's uh it's hard for me to see myself doing something a whole lot different from what I'm doing I'm uh pretty and pr get pretty ener energized by it and and uh, I'm one of the fortunate few who can truly say I love my work so oh that's, that's cool that's cool so we're yeah. going to talk about an article you recently wrote called elk wars inflated herd spur committee dual radical proposals and just summarizing, sounds like there's some areas of Wyoming where there are way more elk than what society has deemed the right and right number. And they won't, and there's, there's a, a lot of interest in trying to get the numbers under control. That is correct. Uh, certainly not a Wyoming specific issue. Um, uh, I, you know, I actually uh, incidentally came across a report it's under embargo, and I'm not supposed to write anything on it yet. But I think I don't think when will this pu uh, podcast publish? <laughs> I I don't know. We have a huge backlog, but this one's kind of a current affairs thing, so we might try to push it to the front. Okay, but not in the next few days, right? No, no, no. Okay, no. okay. Well, then, yeah, this report—it's a the report's just a critique of uh, elk, elk feed grounds and the successes or uh, the authors of reports, the Sierra Club report. They, you know, have issues with the elk feed ground system in Wyoming. But anyway, uh, the reason I'm bringing it up is because. Uh, I just happened across this report today, and there was a graph in there that showed statewide elk populations and objectives. Uh, it's from 2021, but shows all Wyoming, Idaho, Montana, Colorado, Utah. Uh, every single one is over objective on a percentage basis. Looks like Wyoming. Uh, it looks like Montana would be the most over objective. So, um, yeah, us. Yeah, <laughs> but all the states, uh, uh, it, it appears from this graph, um, are considerably over objective, um, which um, is is certainly the case uh, more so in central and eastern Wyoming than in the in far western Wyoming. I'm in Pinedale, Wyoming. Um, oh wow, that's crazy! One of our quietly contributors just moved there. Really? Who's that? Her name is Jill Grennan, and she works for the Forest Service. Jill Grennan, Forest Service. She okay. just moved. How many people are in Pinedale? I just I just moved to Pinedale, too. Oh, man. You should <laughs> really got... meet Jill. She's <laughs> I... a, a, a young mother, two kids, gotcha. and a badass hunter. Like, she's... <laughs> 
she's very committed hunters uh yeah so she's lived out west for a, a, a long while and then moved to vermont for a number of years and she she lived in montana for a long while and now is back in back in wyoming i think she lived in wyoming previously but anyway i'll put you guys in touch just in case you ever want to sure i mean yeah as you alluded to the very small place to two thousand people so i'm sure i'll run into her yeah yeah uh yeah i i wrote a i contributed to a study on the effects of out feeding grounds on plant communities about hmm. 15 years ago i did a detail for the forest service in Lagrande, oregon mm-hmm. and my supervisor there he had this long-term data set on mm. measuring vegetation dynamics in and mm. around elk feed grounds hmm. wasn't very was it was not a very earth-shattering study in terms of knowledge generation we basically figured out that in terms of the plant community it kind of turns it into like tame pasture you know all the grass seed turns it in like induced it, it takes wyoming big sagebrush habitat and turns it into s- smooth brome and timothy and stuff like that you know yeah yeah i mean yeah i'm no no expert but you know just look at the national elk refuge and it's a largely the flat part of it at least is a appears to be a monoculture of grass with yeah. very yeah and there's no woody vegetation i believe that really survives just by virtue of numbers that of elk that are concentrated there so that that makes sense to me do you um, think the yeah. situation okay so i surmise that not from you but for some people that work for wyoming fishing game i that i talked to about this a little bit that a part of the problem is that there are large landowners in these areas where elk are at high numbers that just ain't down with hunting and the and their their property becomes like a refuge for for elk yeah i think um that's certainly the case so in the central wyoming areas where this issue is most pronounced and that's to my knowledge is is it the kind of the hot spot is the laramie mountains so that's the mountain range that not a super famous range or uh physically imposing range but it like runs kind of starts um just south of casper runs to the east and then like kind of does a upside down j shooting south toward cheyenne on the uh, west side of i-25 so that's where and it's a it's a good patchwork of private and public land and yeah so like there that's that's kind of case in point for elk overpopulation in wyoming um the, the it seems that there's like three categories of landowners who um who who their way of managing their land has contributed to this issue i'd say those are some are just cattle ranchers who are not interested in like dealing with the hunters um okay so that's a different that's different than the narrative that was presented to me which is that the that the the ranchers that are being negatively impacted the narrative i got was 
the one they they were all on board with public hunting but it was these pesky new neighbors that bought the big ranch for a tax write-off that yeah. are harboring the elk yeah that and that's another that's another category i i think some people that are just um some some guys who are just cattle people you know they might let their friends or whatever come out but they just don't want to deal with like uh with having to manage all these hunters you big big swath of ranch land you can have a lot a lot of interest and so i that's just my impression from reporting on it that there's not certainly not all but some of them aren't that interested in having a lot of hunters out on their land the cattle ranchers uh and then yes another category is like that that person who want uh, you know a wealthy newcomer who wants a swath of wyoming and who isn't a hunter and doesn't have interest in allowing hunters access onto their property like that's another type and then there are also people and i interviewed one for a story a year ago who buy land as hunting property but it's like their personal hunting property and they're not interested in having the public hunt on it and you know it's just them and their friends or in family let's say and and the amount of pressure that they can put on herd on these really gigantic herds that can find refuge on their land is inadequate to push them off their land if that makes sense well it's probably the objective is to not pressure them so much that they leave the land absolutely absolutely yeah so i uh okay so with one the one of these three i like this this triad as you presented it i don't i have a hard time sympathizing with the personally with the the rancher that claims to be getting severely negatively impacted and isn't allowing a, a lot of public hunting that that one does that one that just that just it does makes it seem like well it must be not that might not be that big of a problem you know um but then the other two i can sympathize with like let's say you have a bunch of land and you don't believe in hunting you know yeah. that's a tough situation uh and then the people that harbor a bunch of elk and then just pick off the big bulls, like hard to, hard to, I mean, it's, I, I think that that's kind of selfish, you know? So I guess there's some blame there is you're not looking out for your fellow hunters very much. If you got hundreds of elk running around your land, you just pick off two big bulls and then lock everybody else out, you know? But anyway, I, just giving you my yeah, sense yeah. on where you I know, come down on on what's right, you know, what where my moral compass lies with something sure. like that. Sure, I'll withhold sharing what my personal views are on where the blame falls, but um, but I do sympathize with some of the ranchers who like. It sounds like you know they'll enroll their land in some of the public access programs. And I think sometimes it can, you know, there it, it, there can just be a flurry, and and I understand that I understand not wanting to have, you know, dozens of hunters pounding your land when herds come and like those those late season cow hunts especially. I mean, they can get ugly, and you know, I I totally understand why they wouldn't want to kind of be. Um, uh, harboring that act type of activity but yeah at the same time you're right i mean it you know they're having a hard time with those elk and it should seems like it, it, sh- it should be on them to some extent to help solve it what is your 
state run do you have there is a state run public access program in wyoming yeah i i'm not good for talk to the particulars but yes absolutely there's a they call it the access yes program okay i've heard of that yep yep and yeah provides you know some form of compensation um and i think there's various levels of access and get you know one places where you can just access and place where you need permission blah 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 but i i'm really not uh an expert so i won't go into the details because i don't know them well yeah but what this has got me thinking about is i definitely would like to talk to jill about that program because we we have this the people that work on hunt quietly stuff we also work on a nonprofit that we started called hunters for access and what we do so we have the, the block management program mm-hmm. uh which is do you know about that program uh yeah yeah i mean vaguely i, I don't it's know your access yes essentially yeah, yeah. and and it's funded f- with, with through license sales and yeah. it's the biggest program of its kind we have six million acres um but the program is definitely under threat it's it's shrank a million eight by about a million acres in the last several years due to leasing and and outfits like land trusts that are enticing people out of it so what we do is we raise money and buy appreciation gifts and go to these dinners that the fish wildlife and parks throws on throw on Mm-hmm. and dole out fence post pounders, calf shelters, gift certificates to home and ranch supply stores. Like, thanks for putting up with the hassle, you know? Yeah. This weekend, we're doing, we also do work projects on participating ranches. I mm-hmm. got people coming from all over, other states included. Yeah. Out to Eastern Montana this weekend. And we're doing eight different, seven, seven different work projects around here, fixing fence, tearing down old buildings, um, doing cool. yard work to, as a way of saying, you know, thanks for putting up with the hassle. I, I, so that's our, that's our, our stab at trying to like counterbalance some of the hassle mm-hmm. associated with allowing public hunting you know sure yeah um and i think i this sub stuff i harp on all the time i look at all the government money ranchers get like 10 to 10 to 50 percent of their income in recent years has been due that has been direct subsidies from the taxpayer uh and i think that that's like that should incline one toward allowing hunting access that's the that's the way my fairness meter works i was just talking to a friend of mine that works for a company that manages cattle ranches and he was telling me that there is a federal program a federal crop insurance program for cattle ranches that if you don't get a x number of x inches of measurable precip by such and such date mm-hmm. and then the insurance pays out and they've been on the ranches they 
manage, which are everywhere from Montana to Wyoming to Florida. Mm-hmm. They have a couple of big ranches. They've been making $400,000 a year per ranch off that insurance in, yeah. um, in, in recent years. You know, so yeah. I, don't, I, I, I don't know. I just wonder how, that's one thing I wonder about how, all the time. With all the hunters that are struggling for access, love to shoot one of those cow elk that are giving these people a hassle how in the world can you how can you can how can you make that happen with our block management program it's the same thing that you described a lot of people leave it because a lot of landowners leave the program because they don't they just get sick of the hassle and the bad behavior Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, i i spent some time lobbying the administration here in montana for a compulsory training program whereas if you want to make if you want to hunt through block management you got to take a a course yeah uh but i couldn't get anywhere with it yeah well the status quo version of the program has certainly not worked to curb elk numbers which is why um you know why uh tensions remain and why you know ultimately why i wrote that story because uh livestock producers in that area are are not satisfied with how the states responded to it and so you know they went to their lobbyist um and uh he worked some magic and brought it to the wyoming legislature's agriculture committee and now there appears to be some legislative efforts you were at the a meeting that they had I was not at that. I, I was not physically present. Uh, oh, were you? Oh, were you listening? I wish I would have been because it was pretty hot as far as interim legislative meetings go. But, but uh, you were list. You were listening online or watching online. I, 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 I got a. Someone said I. I need to go listen to this meeting, and I did. Well, uh, could you tell us about it? I mean, you write about it in the article, but for people, yeah, to- sure. Uh, so yeah this is uh five weeks ago or so six weeks ago um, mid-june and uh that the essence is so part of why i thought it was an interesting story is because uh wyoming legislature we there is a committee that is dedicated to wildlife issue issues uh the travel recreation wildlife and cultural resources committee so that's a committee, you know, a suite of lawmakers who work closely with the Wyoming Game and Fish Department on wildlife issues. And this, I thought this was interesting because this was a wildlife issue about elk and it was the agriculture committee that was taking it up. And also there's like a process to, for, you know, a a committee doesn't just like pick what they want to look at willy nilly. There's like a defined process, you know, how, how like is ag committee going to look at potato subsidies this year? Like there's like a, a a council in in the state house that determines what they study and an elk overpopulation was not one of the issues that the ag committee here in Wyoming uh was kind of assigned with taking on and then this it but nevertheless they like 
are taking it on. And so like that, that in itself is like, they're kind of these different legislative committees fighting with each other. So I, that's part of why I was interested. Um, And then. And that's why some of the proposals flying around at the meeting are so outrageous because these are people that are not accustomed to thinking about (laughs) hunting related issues or people that are accustomed to thinking about agricultural issues, right? A hundred percent. They're not familiar with the issue at all. And there were a lot of freshmen on the committee too. And the way that it was structured is a very, I actually profiled him weeks after this. I wrote this story, uh, the, a very influential lobbyist in Wyoming. He's uh, a guy named Jim McGagna. He's 80 years old and uh, certainly one of the most influential lobbyists in the state right now. Um, He's a lobbyist for the uh, Wyoming Stock Growers Association, but he's also been a lobbyist for for uh, wool growers uh at, you know basically for the last 40 50 years and he's he's an institution himself in Wyoming and so he got so he has a ton of sway with the committee and then got them seemingly i mean i don't know the inside the ins and outs of the committee chair's decision making but he got it so that ranchers they're the ones who presented the issue, not 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 the wildlife managers. Uh, it was the ranchers that have to deal with the elk, and the you know the I'm I'm not throwing shade on the ranchers, but like the, it's their perspective, and they're probably playing pretty loose with numbers, and they're and then they're basically you know complaining about the job the state has done to a bunch of freshman legislators who don't know the issue so by the time and then game and fish was present there was a game and fish uh, like a high official in the state agency there and he was there to kind of answer questions by the time you know an hour into the meeting by the time he was there to answer questions they were like pissed okay like, so they're all like, fired up and then he's all fired up, up. yes yeah. yeah, so it was just some high drama as far as legislative committee meetings go and they were throwing out very outlandish ideas like you're saying gunning out from helicopters um and uh and you use, know. using drones to locate elk so the elk yeah. could kill more right it's that was another ending one waste rule so you could just shoot elk and leave them it was right. like yeah. Oh, or that, or or selling the elk meat and using yeah. that to compensate the ranchers for their loss. Yep, all, all sorts of stuff. And so, yeah, that's why I was like, "Damn, people will want to know about this." And uh, wrote a story about that. You and then bills will really emerge from that. It's not like it was just like hot air in a room and. Uh, yeah yeah it has con the the meeting has consequences and this guy the deputy chief of wildlife uh craig smith right that was answering questions after an hour after the yeah yeah he he, you write in here um that to each of these proposals he's he responded that that's illegal Right. Oh, illegal. illegal. Illegal, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was saying it nicely, but yeah, you know, sure. It's like, yeah, like that's a nice thought. But um, you know, there are statutes on the books that would prevent us from doing that. Yeah. So, you know, most of those crazy what we see or what what sports people probably see as crazy ideas, you know, they were shot down. Nothing's gonna come of those. Um, but 
being a journalist, I wanted to grab people's attention. So I let yeah. start a bunch of those ideas getting lofted around. So I got two questions I want to ask. One of them yeah. is you wrote about, I think it was you or it was somebody I talked to said that they're there. They've hired people to gun down elk in some of these areas. And that's one yeah. thing I, I yeah. want to ask you about that for sure. And I'd also want to ask you where you think if you had to guess where you guess it'd go next. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that was something that I was not aware of until I listened to that committee hearing. Um, but yeah, so this has been, a, this has been kind of a growing issue for 20 ish years, I think. Um, and, uh, they they are at the point where they like are trying to think outside the box but within the Wyoming game fish department that is but within things that they can do you know currently legally and and one uh you know they so like game and fish issues themselves permits all the time all around the state to like deal with nuisance animals you know to kill animals if they need to because there isn't another way to uh resolve a conflict uh, so that happens, but I wasn't aware that they could like uh, use those permits to, yeah, essentially hire. In this case, it was like contractors. Uh, so they just had a contract. I think they were like kids, you know, young kids in their twenties who were really ambitious and could really go out there. And uh, yeah, what were the? What I'm trying to find the numbers from from uh, how that went. So yeah, they spent twenty thousand six hundred dollars, uh, and they and this is in the Iron Mountain herd. It's it's adjacent to the Laramie Mountains, super super overpopulated. You know, three hundred percent or something like that of the objective the herd is, and uh, so yeah, for twenty thousand six hundred dollars, these two contractors killed one hundred twenty nine elk last winter. So that is a uh, hundred sixty bucks an elk. The state is paying mm -hmm. people to. Mm -hmm. And then, but then, you know, they, it, they salvaged all the meat, they brought it all. And it was, I think all but one of those animals, uh, tested negative for chronic wasting disease. And then the meat was distributed through some program. Um, and, uh, I did ask, uh, that the chief warden for the, for the agency, you know, like if he thinks that they can really scale that up because 129 elk in a herd of a few thousand, uh, 129 cows and a herd of a few thousand is going to make a huge difference, but you know, maybe 500 or 700 would. And, and he, uh, he seemed optimistic that they could, you know, scale that up to some level. And certainly that probably, you know, sounds unpalatable to a lot of elk hunters, uh, especially, you know, who ate tag soup last year, um, that the state is paying people to go kill elk and then giving away the meat. But, uh, yeah, man, it, it is un, it's unpalatable to me. I don't see why there can't be an advanced training program where if, if you go through some kind of training that and you demonstrate that you can be responsible, how you couldn't be one of the people harvesting one of those 500 elk. So. Yeah, I think, yeah, I, I don't have an answer for you. You know, they were doing this, I believe it was in February. So it's past when the tip the season would typically end. Um, yeah. Okay. And they're probably, oh, it's probably all happening around a stack, around stack yards. 
I would guess. I don't know. I don't know. I'll tell you what, when I heard about this program, first thought in my head as journalists is I'm going to try to get access and do something. Yeah. Yeah. So I can, I, I hope to be out there next winter with these guys um, uh, and, uh, you know, do a feature story on, on the work that they do. But I think that they're like hella good hunters. Like, you know, th- these guys really, you know, are probably long range, h- high precision um, and are able to put it, you know, sh- shoot and, and kill a number of animals and are doing it in a way that it doesn't like, spook a whole herd off a, a land where they have permission yeah all- they're so far away the elk only thing yeah. the elk, only thing that cues the elk in is that their buddy just tip, took a nap right in front of them yeah exactly um i i mean that's at least what's in my head i haven't seen it firsthand but i th- i think i guess push back on you know like having training program i agree i mean like that'd be great to get the public i just doubt that you could train the public the general public to such a extent that they could probably be as effective as these like yeah handpick yeah. sharpshooter type dudes no i i get that i get that yeah but i yeah. i still think that there's a way that it, you get it done with hunting it's just people would have to make landowners would have to make sacrifices but yeah i mean how do you how do you you know in wyoming it's a question how do you incentivize that because you can't well if they're if it's if they're getting eaten out of house and home to the extent that they're they're claiming in that meeting there's your that seems like the incentive right there yeah for 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 a livestock producer but what about you have to be balanced you know because you're a journalist i'm a hunting advocate so i so i just i just advocate on the side of the of the hunter you know so yeah so that's like the difference between your perspective and mine but i understand where you're coming from yeah but what do you do but what do you do how do you incentivize the landowner who doesn't approve of hunting or how do you incentivize the landowner that really just appreciates seeing super herds of elk move through the property oh yeah there's not much you can do there yeah yeah exactly i i one thing i I'm trying to do with hunt quietly is in some way through example, like we have people, we've had people in the podcast that share their land with other people. I'm trying to do more of that is just cultivate a sense of sharing. Like maybe you don't need to kill a 200 inch white tail every year. Maybe, maybe you'd be, maybe, you know, instead you shoot a smaller buck and you allow some other people on i don't know but i just wish that there was a way that we could look out for one another yeah 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 i hear you i hear you i mean i think i yeah i i i don't know the answer i i do i just i do know for a fact that there are people buying up land in these areas that are just not that they are buying it because it's remote wyoming it's cheap it's beautiful and they're not you know they're not coming to hunt elk and they and they probably really appreciate seeing elk oh yeah the, yeah that crowd the crowd that just buys the ranch because they want the, but they're like hunting is essentially a foreign notion to them and they're and they're like what have people come out here and shoot the animals you know that those i i i can sympathize with that perspective entirely if i wasn't if i was from a hunting background and i had decided to buy a big ranch yeah. Like, really? You're gonna come out here and shoot the wildlife? 
Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I, you know, I, I used to cover uh, the Jackson elk herd quite closely. Uh, that's the herd that is on the national elk refuge, you know, when I was at the newspaper in Jackson hole and, and a, a lot of the overpopulation issue there uh, is the herd is overall it's the right size, but like there's these inflated segments of the herd and they're in subdivisions. And the people that own those subdivisions are like the wealthiest Americans. And they're there to like, you know, show off to their friends and, and appreciate nature. And to them, that's an elk walking through the air. And just like someone like that, it's just like, they're it's a long reach to try to get them to let some camel clad dude out on their property to gun down an animal. They just like the animal is why they are there. Yeah. Like, oh, they, I, I, I'm in complete agreement. Yeah. yeah. You know, the objectives of the Jackson Alcord don't mean shit to those people. And so I, I appreciate that. And I mean, I appreciate their perspective and uh, yeah, it's, it's a conundrum. Yeah. So you kind of answered the second question too. Like if, you, if it sounds like, correct me if I'm wrong, you think where it could go next is just a more intense sniper esque approach. Yeah, I mean, there were, like I said, there were some actual bills that emerged uh, commission, um, or I'm sorry, committee meeting. One of those is a compensation bill. Uh, and so, you know, we'll see if it uh, has an effect, but, or like it makes it through the legislative process and becomes law. But, uh, but it would, uh, in essence, in an area where there's uh, an overpopulation of elk, it would, depending on how much elk are overpopulated, uh, like the number of animals over objective, it would like create a pool of funding for ranchers who are just losing grass to the elk out in the landscape. Uh, and, and then the amount they'd be eligible for would be like predicated on how much land they have. Um, so, I mean, th that could be one uh, I, I don't know if that the solution is the the term, but could be one implication of what's going on. Uh, you know, I think from the state's perspective, they that that I don't know if I want to call it a sniper program just yet, but that effort to like hire hunters is, I think, part of what they see as the formula. Continuing to work on like public access certainly part of the formula. Um, they. I was a little surprised the chief warden in an interview said that he was optimistic they could turn the corner on these herd sizes and work toward the goal. Uh, and I, I, you know, I was, I, I was only surprised because they've had 20 years to do that and they haven't been mm -hmm. able to. Mm -hmm. um, so it was kind of like, you know, what's underlying this optimism, but right. that was, that, that was his view of it. Um yeah, I yeah, man, I it it is a con. I mean, you know, what's another so, so called solution would be uh, changing the objective so they're higher. Oh now, yeah, course, there you go. The ranchers, <laughs> they've done that before. <laughs> they've done that before, though. Yeah. Uh, you know, just move move the needle. I mean, there's all sorts of you know the 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 Laramie Mountains where in you know central. Eastern Wyoming, where these issues are unfolding, what do they lack in two apex predators? Yeah, <laughs> sure. You know, it's not 
completely out of it's it's pretty implausible probably in my lifetime there'll be wolves in the laramie range in wyoming under wyoming's watch um but uh you know there there's soon to be wolves very likely in the southern rockies and uh you know there could be some wolf packs moving in and who knows how public attitudes toward wolves in those kind of areas will change in the next half century and maybe having a species like that in the Laramie mountains could bounce things out and, and, you know, make it so that <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, I, bet. I, I wonder what the rancher would think about that. How about this? We yeah, have exactly. way too many elk if we put wolves in here. Well, they <laughs> Those are your two options. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So I don't know. I I don't foresee. I mean, I intend getting a lot of mileage out of the elk overpopulation <laughs> issue, and I don't. Um, uh, I don't anticipate it'll be resolved anytime soon. Yeah. Well, I look forward to continuing to follow your your work on it. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. I'm glad I gained a reader in Montana. <laughs> these are these are. This is the flavor of things we like to cover. So oh, cool. please, please also reach out to me or the other people you, you've you interacted with if you have anything else that comes up that fits the bill um, and you want to draw attention to it. We'd be glad to interview you about other related stuff or get an update on this issue in the future. Yeah, no, reach out to me anytime. I mean, I, yeah, if I if I could think of something, uh, I'll, I'll I'll give your website and, and uh, you know a read and try to get a better understanding of what you all are. Well, the best way to do that is to watch my Pope and Young talk. I did a Pope uh, talk at the Pope and Young convention, and okay. I and I think that that is the best summary of what we are up to right now. The website's outdated. There's a there's okay. a couple of our contributors are working on on updating it but yeah if you if you go on youtube and you type in hunt quietly you'll get a 45 minute talk that is quite complete about, about okay. what our what our concerns are so I see. yeah yeah i mean i i know like the basics of what your concerns are from that podcast you know with your brother and i mean that, it wasn't a very good articulation <laughs> sure in my view but yeah 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 but but yeah i mean i appreciate some of those concerns i think they're very real i mean you know participation and hunting generally is declining and declining right but like there's this big exception for like public land western big game hunting is, is yeah. way in the, the reasons i think it's the reasons in the places it's it's declining i this isn't entirely true i just I just had a, I was just reading this guy's comment on a podcast that I was on where he was talking about Pennsylvania. And he said, it, in the areas he hunts in Pennsylvania, public land is way less crowded than it was 20 years ago. And it's not because there are fewer deer. He said, hmm. it's just, there's less participation so i i'm trying to be better about not just construing everything according to the way it seems to me like yeah the, the way i in the way that i want to rail against it there are yeah. 
I think there are many other places, and this is again informed by hunters I hear from around the nation, that participation is low because people don't have any place to go. And it's because the leasing culture where people that of means take a place that take four or five farms that 20 of the neighbors and the people that went to the farmer's churches or whatever used to hunt and they make it so that they hunt it just them. Yeah. You know, so it, it, yeah, it's it's it's, participation appears to be down in some places just because i don't know video games whatever but in other places there's not there's not enough hunting to go around anymore then i look at like canada you know like saskatchewan up until last year you could go up there and duck duck hunt all Mm -hmm. season all season long from u.s citizens could now mm. it's a draw to even be able to go. Mm. And if you get, and if you draw, you can only go for seven days. People used to go up there like avid duck hunters and spend six weeks. And that's because mm. it's just so overcrowded. And I think that is because in large part, uh, because of duck dynasty, you know, <laughs> like people yeah. are spending five thousand dollars a year to, to lease up a chunk of duck hunting property yeah 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 it's uh i mean i'm not uh, five thousand fifty thousand a guy told me on the podcast yeah in some cases yeah yeah i yeah i mean i'm blessed you know i've lived in in, in my in the last dozen years of my life i live in teton county and Sublette county wyoming which are like 99 and 84 percent public land so um i haven't had to deal with <laughs> that so much um for my you know day-to-day hunting uh, but certainly have run into uh, access issues in eastern wyoming be like pronghorn hunting yeah something of- happened to my brain though where like and I don't know when or how or why, but I have concern for people that for hunters that do it for the right reasons. What I take the right reasons to be hide horns, meet personal satisfaction outside of myself. So whereas I have it kind of good too, I still have deep concerns for other people elsewhere that don't have it so good when it comes to hunting. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I get. I don't know. I've always. I've always had a lot of. I guess I'd say I've always. I feel like I've always had a lot of empathy and for other people, and this is how my the empathy is getting channeled right now, is with that sort of thing. Cool. So well, I'll check out Hunt Quietly, quietly, and I'll try to listen to your uh, your talk. Yeah, thanks so much, and I hope you don't mind if I put you in touch with with Jill Grennan. Yeah, absolutely. So she's a Bridger Teton employee. Is that I'm right? Not sure. Okay. I'm not sure. Okay. Forest Service, though. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Almost for sure that she'd be Bridger Teton National Forest. Okay. But yeah. Absolutely. Hey, Mike. Thanks so much for taking the time. I learned a lot. I think this was a great discussion. Yeah. Anytime. Thanks, man. Appreciate All it. All right. Have a good night. Yep. Peace. Bye.